Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Actors are planning to picket Netflix headquarters in the Bay Area today, one week after SAG-AFTRA, the union representing film and television artists, went on strike. They joined members of the Writers Guild of America, who've been on strike since May, marking the first time in more than 60 years that writers and actors are on strike simultaneously and over many of the same issues compensation, residual payments, and the use of AI to generate content. This hour, we'll talk about the impact of both strikes on the entertainment industry, the economy, and on the series or movies you watch. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In a live stream this week, Fran Drescher, president of SAG-AFTRA, told Senator Bernie Sanders what's at stake for actors on strike. I just want my people to be feel respected and honored and not be squeezed out of a livelihood because of this maniacal greed to keep on bolstering the shareholders at the expense of the foundational contributors of the entire industry. The studios, for its part, says SAG-AFTRA walked away from more than a billion dollars in wage increases and benefits and is mischaracterizing negotiations. Meantime, more Hollywood productions have gone dark as striking actors now join striking Hollywood writers who walked out in May. The first time since 1960 that's happened. Joining me now is Catherine Howell, head of SAG-AFTRA's San Francisco Northern California local, and an actor known for a wide range of roles in film and TV, including Criminal Minds, The Zodiac, and James and the Giant Peach. Thanks so much for joining us, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me. What are some of the biggest issues you and other actors face in this industry that that are driving SAG-AFTRA's demands? Well, Aside from uh, just the general uh, low pay and their refusal to uh, raise the minimum, um, 
which would mean a 5% less uh, in real dollars over the next three years coming into the actors' pockets. There's other issues. There's the issue of AI, artificial intelligence. Um, and then they, they want to, you know, create films with artificial intelligence. I'm gonna, like with um, your likenesses and your voice. I'm not sure how it would work. <laughs> and, I mean, it could be artificial intelligence voices as well as artificial intelligence, um, you know. Images. Ca- on ca- all image on camera. Yeah. Um, I came across a really good um, analogy that uh, someone else wrote, and I'm going to plagiarize it, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the only thing AI can do is create mediocrity. Because the same um, AI can create the whole script anyway. Uh, because all it can do is aggregate what's out there. So yes, it can write a script, but it will be rubbish. AI has no childhood trauma. AI's never had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Never had its heart broken. It's it's never been through anything that would give it the impetus to create art. Yeah. And to I, rely I guess, on it would be, yeah, go ahead. That's, that's basically the quote. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering also just how the strike has affected work that you are planning to do, how it's felt not to be able to do your craft with the studios and production companies um, that are represented by AMPTP, which is a lot, which means, you know, you're not able to do the things you love. Well, exactly. That's what we train our whole lives um, to do and practice our craft. It's what we love. And uh, for, for, the non, uh, for the nonce, things have come to a dead standstill and there's no filming around and um, so, so no work. Do you think the general public often has misconceptions about the realities of actors' work, actors' lives? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They don't understand that it's an art form like any other art form. Um, that sometimes it's like people think we are acting in our real lives mm-hmm. instead of when we're playing a character. I mean, they wouldn't think the same thing of a, of a cellist or uh, a ballerina. You know, they, uh, the general public understands that those are art forms that require uh, discipline and work and training but often don't understand that the same is true for actors. Are you prepared for this strike to go on for a long time? Are your members prepared? I'm not sure what you mean by prepared. I mean, we won't have the money coming in, um, and it's going to be difficult, but in terms of being prepared to stick it out to get what we want, yes. Catherine Howell, president of SAGA after San Francisco, Northern California, Thanks so much for joining us. I know you've got a a picket to get to. (laughs) We've got a picket to get to today, so thank you very much. I want to bring into the conversation Alyssa Wilkinson now, senior correspondent for Vox. Alyssa, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. It's great to be here. You know, we had you on when the Hollywood writers' strike began. (laughs) And hearing Catherine talk about pay and AI Sounds a lot like the things that we talked about with regard to concerns among writers. Can you just give us some context of what's happened in the industry to get us to this point where we have both writers and actors striking at the same time? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think it's notable that the 
demands are actually quite similar between two guilds where the work is quite different um, because it kind of shows what the issue at stake here is. And the way that I have been characterizing it to people is it's a story about technology. That's always true in Hollywood. <laughs> Every change in Hollywood is always driven by advances in technology. Um, you know, even since the very beginning, sound, color, you know, theaters, TV, things like that. In this case, it's two technologies that I think everyone is familiar with at this point to different degrees. Uh, one is streaming, which, you know, was used um, initially as kind of like, oh, you know, who's going to want to watch TV on their laptop, right? <laughs> um, and so the money attached to working for streaming is very, very, very low. And I think people who maybe are interested in this have seen some actors and writers talking about how little they make. Uh, from the work that they do for streaming. And yet that's where the business is making a lot of, of its money, if not most of it um, at this point. And then on the flip side, we also have, you know, the mounting threat of AI. And, you know, everyone is, you can hear it in people's voices, everyone's still not quite sure what that's going to mean. But what's definitely been clear for a few years now, I was writing about this three years ago, yeah. is that AI will be very much capable of, kind of replicating and generating performance in a way that, you know, may not affect the the Meryl Streep's of the world or, you know, Tom Cruise doing his stunts, but it will mean that people who, you know, comprise most actors in the country, people who are, you know, doing background work, they're extras, maybe they have a bit part here and there, their jobs will just simply go away. Um, and, that's, I think, scary for a lot of people in part because, you know, those are the way that you break into the industry. You get experience and you move up the ladder. And the question I think a lot of people might want to start asking themselves is whether they want to live in a world where every piece of entertainment you see has basically only the remnants of the past in it and no kind of new um, work being done. And talk about most actors, because I think we are so familiar with the most famous of them, right? The most mm. successful mm -hmm. of them. But what are the lives like? What are the salaries like generally? Yeah, I mean, you know, I live in New York City. I know a lot of people who are actors, uh, but that almost is a joke, right? In cities like New York and LA, because if you say you're an actor, you say, oh, where do you waitress, right? Mm. Um, because the for most people, it's not really a living, it's a passion. Um, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be something that, they when they pour their work and their craft into it, they can't get paid adequately if the thing that they're doing then generates profit for a large company, right? So I believe the numbers we've been seeing come out, and you know, there's a lot of factors here, but the number I keep seeing is that something like 87% of SAG-AFTRA's membership does not meet the minimum income threshold that would qualify them for health insurance, um, them and their families for health insurance through the guild. And that minimum income threshold is $26,000 a year. So that's kind of the standard that you can think of that, you know, most actors are not making $26,000 a year from the work they're doing. And a thing that's always true is that we always have this bias towards only recognizing, you know, whoever's the big stars with the big names who are making a lot of money. But even those people are starting to say, look, I don't I make very little compared to what I would have made 10 years ago from my work. And yet my work is generating more income for the studio. So this doesn't make sense. And that's really where the crux of their mm -hmm. um, 
their argument lies. So what is the position of the studios and production companies uh, represented by the Alliance for Motion Picture and Television Producers on the compensation and also the residuals question, which is what I think you're getting at when people say, Mm -hmm. I would have made more on this 10 years ago than I do now, even though the shows that I make now may be distributed much further and reaching much bigger audiences. Yeah, and it is residuals and it's also just pay, um, like just basic kind of essentially minimum wage, which most people are working for at this point. And that's part of the problem. Um, Well, their position is, look, we're struggling, you know, we're, we're just coming out of this like pandemic dry time, we're struggling to stay afloat. Um, We don't, you know, we're not making the kind of profits that you might think we're making. Um, And, you know, you're asking for an unreasonable amount of money. And I think there's also a little bit of playing on the idea that everyone in Hollywood is too highly paid to begin with. And, you know, they just are greedy and they want more. And the counter that you basically are seeing from the guilds is saying, your CEO makes $25 million. (laughs) And that's a ballooning um, amount over, you know, 10 years ago. And so, so there's some kind of imbalance here that isn't being addressed. Um, And on top of everything, we can see that uh, AI, you know, is something the studios really don't want to talk about. They really don't offer a lot of practical ideas of of what they want to do with it, because, well, I mean, I guess we have to draw our own conclusions, but that's, you know, it's sort of a two pronged thing. So um, for the studios, you know, their position is that this is this is they're asking too much. We don't have the money. And the guilds are not so sure that that's true. We're talking about the Hollywood actor strike, how it's happening simultaneously with the writer strike and the impact that they are having and could have. We're talking with Alyssa Wilkinson, senior correspondent for Vox. And I'd like to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Are you an actor or a writer who's on strike? What questions do you have about the strikes, about the union's positions, or the studios and production companies' positions? Or maybe you have questions about how the strike will affect the TV shows and movies you consume. You can email them to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads. We're at KQED Forum. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. For the first time since 1960, both Hollywood actors and writers are on strike. And and we're looking at the impact that they are having. We're talking with Alyssa Wilkinson, senior correspondent for Vox, who covers film and culture. And we are talking with you, our listeners, at 866-733-6786 on our social channels at KQED Forum. You can email comments and questions about the strike to forum at kqed.org. And if you're directly affected, of course, we'd love to hear from you. Joining us now is Jonathan Handel, an LA-based entertainment and technology attorney with Troy Gould. He's also a journalist covering labor and entertainment for Puck, and his books include Hollywood on Strike, an industry at war in the internet age. Jonathan Handel, thanks so much for being with us. Mina, thank you for having me. Also with us is Eric Haywood, writer, producer, and director. His TV shows include Empire and Law and Order, Organized Crime. He's also a Writers Guild of America West Board member and a 2023 Negotiating Committee member. Eric, so glad to have you back on with us. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Yeah, we had you on to talk about the the writer strike, and I'm wondering how you're feeling about the actor's also on strike, that you are both fighting the studios for similar things. Do you do you feel bolstered by it? Uh, are you worried about it? You know what's funny? I was I was um, on the picket line, uh, actually outside of Paramount Pictures, the the very first day that the uh, uh, actors joined us on the picket lines. And there was another writer who was walking in front of me and he turned around and he, 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 he knew that I was a member of the board and the negotiating committee. And he asked me, does this make you happy? And I said, listen, none of this makes me happy. None of us want to be out here. Uh, uh, but I think what he meant was, was I encouraged by the fact that another union had joined us? And, and frankly, my answer remains the same. You know, none of us wants to be on strike. We'd all much rather be working. We'd all much rather, you know, have a, have a fair contract. Having said that, um, um, I think it goes without saying that the more pressure we're able to put on the studios, the better. Um, it was my hope that the actors would arrive at a fair deal um, and not have a need to strike, uh, which probably would have opened the door for the writers to return to the negotiating table. But, you know, the, the studios don't seem to be interested in, in, in any of that. So here we are. Yeah. And I should mention, we emailed the studios before the show, but we're unable to get a response before airtime. Has there been any progress in negotiations with the studios since May, Eric? In terms of the writers? Yeah, in terms of the writers, what what you've been asking for uh, with regard well, to compensation and so on? Progress is sort of, uh, it, it depends on what you mean by progress. If you mean, have we sat down and had conversations with the studios? No, we haven't. Um, but but we, I, I do feel we've, we've made a different form of progress, which was, if I had to guess, I, I would assume that uh, no one would have expected, I think we're on day 80 today of the writer's strike. Right. I don't think anyone would have imagined that uh, the Writers Guild um, membership would have held together as strongly as it has by this point. I don't think anybody would have imagined that morale would have remained as high as it is we have writers supporting other writers financially, emotionally, spiritually, you name it. So, so in that sense, you could, I, I would have no problem arguing that, you know, the fact that we're still standing strong in this fight is its own form of progress. But like I said, it, there have not been any formal talks. The, the studios walked away from the negotiating table. And I think we all understand how the negotiation process works. The, it's the, the person or the person's who walked away, it's their responsibility to come back when they're ready to resume talking. 
Jonathan Handel, what do you make of why the studios have not come back? I think that, uh, and, and first I want to respond actually to something that Eric said, I, I, which I would push back on slightly when he said that uh, uh, no one that might not have imagined that the writers would have this level of solidarity and this level of resolve to this, uh, you know, to this point, 80 days in. Um, several years, two, three years ago, starting in 2018, uh, the Writers Guild embarked on a what became a three-year campaign against the talent agencies. Uh, it was a campaign against certain business models of the agencies. And in the course of that, the Writers Guild uh, ordered its members to fire their agents. Uh, over 7,000 writers did, and they remained agentless for the better part of uh, a year and a half or two years. Uh, that demonstrated enormous solidarity. And that campaign was not only a campaign in and of itself uh, and on its own merits, that campaign was a dry run uh, for a strike. And if you check your watch, uh, the writer's strike is actually uh, slightly delayed. And when I say slightly, I don't mean that it, ha it started a few minutes late. It started three years late. This strike was going to happen in 2020, but COVID intervened. And the view of most of the, really all the candidates for board on, on both East and West when I read their statements uh, for their election in the, uh, the fall of last year was, we have a lot of unfinished business. Uh, this is viewed as unfinished business. And look, the reason that these both of these strikes are so intractable is if you step back from the trees and the various specific issues and look at the forest, uh, what this is about, <clears throat> excuse me, is class warfare in both directions uh, and it is about more specific, slightly more specifically, this is about uh, fair wages, uh, sustainable jobs, and protection from displacement by technology. Uh, that latter is is both a recent issue as with the emergence of uh, chat GPT and generative AI, the explosion of it in the, uh, in the, in the spring. It is also a 200 year old issue uh, because from the beginning of the industrial age, uh, workers have feared uh, often quite rightly, that technology would be used not only as a tool to uh, empower an individual worker and enable an individual worker to do things they couldn't otherwise do, but also uh, as a replacement for a quantity of workers. And we've seen that again and again. Uh, I happen to think that, I mean, the chat, that the writer's fears of chat GPT being imminent uh, an imminent replacement for writers, uh, for screenwriters and, and television writers is a bit overblown. We, we are rightly impressed that the dog can dance. It really is quite astonishing, but it's not going to be performing at the New York Ballet next week. I asked ChatGPT to write me a gay romance and I fell asleep reading it. Uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, the language was on the order of, you know, see Dick run and not in the, in the yeah, entrance. Yeah, but I think the question is, I think you're right on the quality. I think the question is whether or not quality is something that's going to be held up as a standard or or well, if the studios I, are prioritizing quantity, even if it's mediocre as as Catherine No, they, it's not good enough to even to even to make a movie out of. But uh, I, I, two things. Number one, uh, it will get better. And the writers are rightfully afraid that whatever they agree to now, these contracts, uh, which are on a three year renegotiation cycle, uh, are in many ways like roach motels. Contract clauses check in, but they often don't check out. The home video residuals formula dates to 19, the 1980s 
and reflected the economics of VHS tapes and was never revised as the economics became more favorable to the studios with uh, with discs. So the writers are rightfully afraid that whatever language they agree to, they'll have to live with. Secondly, the actors face a more immediate, uh, literally more immediate challenge because you already have VFX and uh, uh, and deepfake technology that is uh, that can replace actors to some extent, to some degree, sort of. Yeah, you had Carrie Fisher generated for a Star Wars film after she passed. Yeah, right. And so, you know, you add generative AI to that and uh, it it turbocharges the issue. Now, the actors are taking a a perspective that the writers have not. The the writer's perspective is, look, uh, uh, AI is okay for a writer to use as a tool, just like we use, you know, spell checkers, grammar checkers. We use the Internet to do research, blah, blah, blah. But it's not okay for a studio exec to come up with a clever idea, speak it to chat GPT and never hire a writer. The actor's perspective the, uh, that the union seems to be taking is, you know, there's a there's a compromise here. Hire me for four, instead of hiring me for four days, hire me for half a day and do the rest with AI, but pay me for two and a half days. That way we it's a win-win. And there is a minority position, I think a minority position in the acting community that says it doesn't accept that and says, look, if it's going to look like me and sound like me, it better be me. But, but what's the studio position, Jonathan? I mean, is it yeah. that they're just going to try to drag this out until people just don't have a livelihood or are able to afford their homes? As there was a well, let, let's talk about let's talk about where the studios are coming from and what the what the guild guild plural response to that is. the The studios have a history of crying wolf about poverty and then changing briefcases and spreadsheets over the Mississippi when they reach. Till they reach New York, where they, uh, you know, talk about how much money they're making to Wall Street. But uh, people forget that the the old tale of the boy who cried wolf. The wolf eventually appeared, and that is what's difficult here. Filmed entertainment has never seen such turbulence in such a short period of time since the end of World War II. 1946, a third of the country went to the movies every week, but by 1950, that had cratered and never ever recovered because of the rise of television and also suburbanization that drove people out of the cities to areas of the country, you know, the suburbs where there weren't movie theaters, uh, particularly at the time. But with the result of that today, of, of what we're seeing today, the, the shift to streaming is look at the different prongs of filmed entertainment, film and TV, domestic box office or box office overall, actually, is uh, is down 20 percent from 2019. And the dirty little secret that people won't say out loud is it's never going to recover. It's never, ever going to, in inflation-adjusted terms, going to be what it once was. This is a continuation of a secular trend away from movie going. Linear television, broadcast, and cable are dying. The audiences are are shrinking. They're aging. They're out of the demographic that national advertisers are willing to pay for. And streaming, for the legacy companies to compete effectively with Netflix means doing what Netflix did, but in an era, you know, building a worldwide platform, but in an era where money is much more expensive. Mm. And now Alyssa, I imagine that it hasn't been going well, that transition for the traditional studios or the legacy studios. No, not at all. And I think a little of what you see is a reflection of some choices that were made in a way that often seems to happen in these contexts where... Um, it's almost like everyone gets the same idea at once and starts doing it as if it's the big new thing. And then five years later, we find out, oh, that you know, 
streaming subscriptions and expensive content are not actually a winning profit proposition. Um, and it's, you know, honestly, I keep comparing it to people to what happened to uh, digital journalism, right? You know, media is in a tough spot in part because people at the top of many companies pivoted over to video and Facebook and then discovered that that wasn't everything that it was represented to be. And it was, it's a huge crisis in journalism and people have lost their local journalism in many cases. Um, for that reason, and guess what? We might get replaced by <laughs> AI. Right? I know so a bunch of articles a, talking about that. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, it's very similar situation. So you know, that's that's what we're seeing now, and those are the kinds of um, I think complaints that the guilds have, which is, hey, you you caused this problem. You need to fix it. That's right, and 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 in addition, the guilds say, look, real or not, and if they they grudgingly admit that it's that it's real, the problem. Uh, a, you fix it. B, uh, if you're going to spend billions of dollars building worldwide platforms for hundreds of millions of people based on our labor and our work product, we need what we are asking for, which is a decent wages, sus sustainable jobs and protection from displacement. Yeah. Well, let me go to some calls. Bola in San Jose. Hi, Bola. You're on. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I just wanted to make a comment on... Um, on just on the whole situation with SAG-AFTRA and WGA, uh, the strike pretty much happened basically Friday, which on July 14th, which just happened to be my birthday. Mm, so I think that was like, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I just have to say as an actor, well, artist, uh, I haven't, um, this is just really an issue for me that even worries me. I mean, I may not be sack after. I mean, not yet. That's the goal. But even for me, I'm a, the whole talk about with AI, trying to use your likeliness and for many years to come and not give you any compensation or any like a residual. It's, it's really troublesome and also unfair, but also just as um, for uh, as an actor and in general and for writers, I think we all deserve, you know, to be paid what our paid due because we're putting in the hours, bringing in the viewership and for writers, they're creating the shows for these studios and companies and bringing them and their shareholders the money. So we deserve a piece of that. We don't deserve scraps. I mean, I think for other, other people who aren't actors, they see this as maybe these super A-listers, which make up only 2% of the actors, they're just, ask, they're just complaining and asking for more money when, no, that's not the case. For the yeah. most of majority of us who aim to have that, that goal, like I myself, I aim to like make millions of dollars for film or TV show, but at that time, for now, I can't. Most of us have to work one, another job or find other streams of income just to get by. Yeah. And it's just, and it's, people don't understand that. And the studios don't understand that. And they need to understand that. They need to see what we're seeing. But just, they're just being very greedy. To me, this is just all about greed. Well, Bola, thanks. Yeah, thanks for sharing where you're coming from as an actor. And actually, another listener writes, a lot of attention is paid to star actors. But what about background actors or doubles who aren't blockbuster stars, but who are still critical to filming? Another listener writes, I know that part of the SAG after strike consists of actors and writers not promoting their work or doing red carpet events. So if we want to support the strike, does that mean we should not watch those actors and writers, movies and TV shows? Um, Eric, what do you think? Um, you want to you support know, the strike? Yeah. 
at this point, that's been a, a very common question among a lot of people. And there are some, some even within uh, uh, the Writers Guild and possibly within SAG-AFTRA who have advocated uh, boycotting streaming services or movies. But neither guild has called for the, a general boycott uh, of any of these services, I think, for a number of reasons. I think, you know, just to take one out of many examples, like Netflix is a billion-dollar company. I think it would take a massive worldwide uh, coordinated effort in order to have individual account cancellations make enough of an impact on their bottom line for them to even notice. And secondly, you know, as bad as the residual situation may be right now, it's going to be even worse if there are fewer people watching the, the, these, these TV shows and movies for both writers and actors. So, so I don't think that uh, uh, people's not watching uh, has, is an effective strategy and is not one that we've advocated. Meantime, Jonathan, we're hearing that these double strikes are having and will have a big economic impact. What do you think? What do you estimate it could be? Well, I'm not an economist um, and, and, and don't play one on radio, but I will tell you that uh, uh, the economists estimated that the 100-day writer's strike 15 years ago uh, had an economic impact of about $2 billion or $20 million a day. If you adjust that for inflation, you're at $30 million a day. And uh, I did have a conversation with the econ yesterday with the economist who was, uh, you know, who, who generated that estimate. And, and he, he believes there are factors that uh, probably push it higher. Uh, you know, to, to give people a sense of this, they, you know, they, the, the entertainment worker, whether on strike or idled because of the strike, you know, directors and crew members, for example, uh, the dollar that they don't receive is a dollar that they don't spend at a local restaurant, which translates to the 25 cents or whatever it might be that the waiter doesn't spend mm. at uh, a clothing store. And when enough people don't spend at the restaurant, then the waiter gets laid off. Uh, and then that's more money that's not spent and at more stores. And it ripple, there's a ripple effect. It ripples through the economy. And that's how you end up with numbers of this magnitude. He is estimating, if these strikes continue, uh, a potentially $4 billion impact or more. Wow. We're talking with Jonathan Handel, an entertainment and technology attorney with LA-based Troy Gould. We're also talking with Eric Haywood, a writer, producer, and director. His TV shows have included Empire and Law and Order Organized Crime, and he's with the Writers Guild of America. Alyssa Wilkinson is a senior correspondent with Vox, who covers film and culture for them. And we're hearing from you, our listeners, your questions about the strike, the strikes, plural, <laughs> and their impact. 866-733-6786, the number, email address, forum at kqed.org. You can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. We'll hear from more of you after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about the Hollywood actors and writers' strikes, what they have in common, where the disputes stand, and the impact that both strikes are having and could continue to have. We're joined by Alyssa Wilkinson of Vox, Eric Haywood, a writer, producer, and director, Jonathan Handel, an L.A.-based entertainment and technology attorney whose books include Hollywood on Strike, an industry at war, in the Internet age. And we're hearing from you, our listeners. Are you an actor or writer on strike? What questions do you have about them? How would you like to see this be resolved? You can join us at 866-733-6786. And on the phone is Irene in Berkeley. Hi, Irene. You're on. Hi there. Thank you for the show. It's very elucidating. It's such an important issue. And I'm calling in as a recording artist to just um, let everyone know that uh, streaming services are crippling creativity and ability to to make a living as a recording artist. I was I have my leg in two worlds. So I was a recording artist with Wyndham Hill and um, used to receive, you know, not huge. I mean, I was a mid-level recording artist. I still am, but I don't get any money for it anyway. I've been making recordings all these years and there's nothing coming in because we get 0.01 little percent from a stream. Um, When I buy my, when I listen to music, I consume because if you buy digital downloads, artists get more money. So I'm putting a pitch in for that. But I also have a leg in the in the um, union, musicians union. I'm a trained classical violinist. And I've played on lots of soundtracks and recordings where I do still get some royalties because of the union. So there's there's kind of a double a double edged thing. So my daughter is this beautiful recording artist with her incredible band. But they do not have the opportunity I had as an independent artist to get supported by a label, um, which still, you know, the, the royalties were never fabulous. But again, it's very similar. So I just wanted to bring in that insight. And, and I'm watching these strikes avidly. Mm. Um, wow. The biggest problem with the independent artists is we don't have a guild. And I don't know what the solutions are for the guild, but still, you know, I want to see these guilds succeed. Well, thanks, Irene. Recording artists, same issues. And of course, we were talking about journalists, similar issues as well. I should note, actually, that many of us at KQED and NPR are members of SAG-AFTRA because AFTRA is the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. But we work under a different contract, so we are not part of this strike. Let me go to caller Damien in Santa Rosa next. Hi, Damien. You're on. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I guess question for the guest. Uh, I don't see the leverage point here. All, all these studios expanded to try and keep up with Netflix and streaming by expanding their business. And now the shareholders want to see profit. And this seems like a giant gift to give the studios where you go on strike. And every dollar that is not getting spent on these, you know, on these actors and performers is is money saved by the studio, and they have a lot of content saved mm. up. 
And then I also don't understand the leverage point of trying to streaming is going to be benefiting from this loss of studios and this loss of late night and, and you know, and TikTok and, and all these other companies that are going to soak up the attention during this time. I don't see the leverage point for streaming from the studios and I don't see the leverage point from the from SAG on the studios. It seems like a gift to these studios to be able to save them a bunch of money and show their their shareholders that they can maintain profitability. So so anyway, yeah. show, where's the leverage? Right. Well, let me put that to Eric Haywood, Writers Guild of America, Negotiating Committee member. What thank do you think you. of what yeah. Damien is saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple things. First of all, thank you for those questions, Damien. Um, I would start by saying if the actors and the writers and all of the other unions that routinely negotiate with the studios never had any leverage, there, never would, there would never be negotiations to begin with. So they want what we make. They need what we make. Um, and, and specifically, when you look at the streamers, uh, uh, this was bad enough for them when the writers went on strike. But I think it got exponentially worse for them when the actors went on strike. Because even when the writers were on strike, you had showrunners from some of Netflix's uh, flagship shows, like Stranger Things, saying we are not going to even embark on making a new season of our show until this strike is resolved. And yes, a lot of the streamers have a lot of content that is banked and they can sort of roll it out a little bit more slowly, but there have been a ton of productions, movies and TV shows that immediately shut down as soon as the actors went on strike. You can do a certain amount of business as usual with the, with the writers being you know, on the picket lines. You can't do very much when you don't have actors to go in the front of the camera. So these companies, both the, the streamers and the sort of legacy media companies, the, the major broadcast networks, and the old school uh, Hollywood studios, they are under intense scrutiny by, uh, by Wall Street to show not just profitability, but increased profitability uh, uh, gr- you know, uh, uh, growing over, uh, over time. So when they are not able to say to their shareholders, we have a fall uh, uh, a TV schedule full of brand new programming for, for our consumers and for our advertisers, that's a leverage point. When they say the, the uh, next summer's uh, um, uh, movie season is in jeopardy by both the writers and the actors being on strike. That's a leverage point. When you do a, a premiere of your new movie like Disney recently did for, I think it was The Haunted Mansion, and they had plans for all of the actors to walk the picket, not the picket lines, used to be. The, the, to red, walk carpet. the red carpet, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my lines mixed up. <laughs> so they had plans for their actors to walk the red carpet and promote as people often do, especially for these high budget movies. And the actors are, are not allowed to promote. They can't walk the red carpet. They can't do interviews. They can't do podcasts. They can't promote on social media. These are all integrated into the studio's plans for how they're going to make money from these projects. Those are all off the table now. So, so I think actors and writers and, you know, I think next year uh, the Teamsters renegotiate their contract. We all have leverage. These companies have to show increased profitability over time and they can't honestly make those projections when the pipeline, every single day the pipeline comes one day closer to being completely dry. Well, this is no rights. The last strike brought us all the rise of horrible reality TV. The longer the strikes go on, the more we will be inundated with people who want to be another housewife of some city or naked people roaming the forest. Please settle it soon. It touches on Alyssa, just some of the ways that we as viewers and consumers of content are going to be affected or what we will see. It sounds like also the award shows are making some backup plans. 
Yeah, that's totally true. I just wanted to say I saw some statistics that just landed in my inbox a couple hours ago that said how many people are thinking they're going to just cancel their streaming subscriptions when they don't have new stuff appearing. Mm. So that seems to be, you know, even if it's not true, <laughs> um, it doesn't really matter if Wall Street thinks it's true, right? That's where the that's where share prices fall and that's what starts to matter. So that's an interesting question to see what's going to happen. Yeah, the Emmys are probably going to be delayed by several months, if not into 2024. If this drags on for a really long time, you'll start to see it kind of edge into my territory and start, um, you know, showing up in the Oscar race, which, you know, when you don't have actors out there campaigning for Oscars, the whole thing gets really strange very quickly, as we've very recently seen, of course, because um, we had some of these same conditions um, during the height of the pandemic. Um, and another piece of this is that, you know, typically you have red carpets with actors walking on them at film festivals. And in about a month, the film festivals of the fall start ramping up the Venice Film Festival and Toronto and New York and Telluride. And it's things are going to get really weird <laughs> if people are not promoting their projects on red carpets. It really changes the way that people are going to become aware of movies and TV shows. And I, you know, I would love to just add that to Eric's really smart comments, which is that, you know, the studios really depend on actors to raise awareness of the existence of TV shows and movies that they're putting out because there's so much stuff out there that a lot of people simply do not know that a movie or a TV show is coming out. Um, and without the actors creating these like viral moments or these things that people watch on the internet, uh, they start to lose a lot of that advertising and they do not have a great way to keep it up. And all of this creates a feeling of uncertainty that could send uh, investors a message that this is no longer a smart investment for them. Well, here's a statement that the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers sent to us. They wrote, the AMPTP has been clear from the outset that its goal is to arrive at a deal that is fair and equitable for SAG-AFTRA members. The deal that SAG-AFTRA walked away from on July 12th is worth more than a billion dollars in wage increases, pension and health contributions, and residual increases, and includes first-of-their-kind protections over its three-year term, including expressly with respect to AI. This listener, Louis, writes, do the producers or studios ever do interviews? I guess I should go back to you, Liz, on that really quickly. Uh, do they ever do interviews? I know we've had some CEOs, maybe one-on-one -on -one with a reporter saying some things that then they tried to walk back or change, but do they ever do interviews around the negotiations? Um, not much. Uh, you know, it is always true that Hollywood is a ridiculously hard place to get anyone to say anything on the record about anything. Um, I say that as a person who covers the business and yep. there's plenty of reasons for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what we've basically had in the last couple of weeks were an anonymous person in deadline saying that they wanted to make the writers lose their apartments and homes so that they'll come back to the, you know, table. Um, and that they, uh, and then we had an interview from Bob Iger saying that all of this was very unrealistic. So those are kind of what we have to go off of. And the rest of it is a lot of anonymous studio executives, um, you know, and it's hard to know who's talking. And I think one other piece of this that 
is worth remembering is that a union is a group of people working together in solidarity and the AMPTP is essentially a trade organization where all the members are technically in competition with one another. So there's some added factors here that make things pretty tricky to know who's talking and who they speak on behalf of. Hmm. Well, let me remind listeners that uh, you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Jonathan, how do you see this getting resolved, giving all of these realities and the context that you provided earlier, what do you think is the most likely resolution? Well, the the thing that I fear, I don't know if it, it will go on this long. The thing that I fear is that one of the drivers of the resolution of the writer strike 15 years ago, maybe what we have to wait for. And that is the Oscars. Um, the strike 15 years ago, settled in its 100th day in February in, a, in advance of the impending Oscars. The uh, actors in solidarity with the writers had destroyed the Golden Globes in January, turning them into, by boycotting and turning them into a cut-rate press conference. Uh, ABC, as the broadcaster of the Oscars, didn't want that. The studios, as the beneficiaries of the uh, publicity around movies that the Oscars represent, didn't want that. Um, there just are... You know, there are, the, the Oscars represented a particular date that was like, we got to not blow this date. You know, there are no other uh, such dates in our current situation until you hit the Oscars. The Emmys, which will probably be postponed to January, they talked about November, but that uh, messes with the Fox uh, uh, television schedule, uh, excuse me, football schedule. Um, the Emmys, it's... You know, it's just so much of, unfortunately, and I remember the TV Academy, so with all respect to my colleagues, uh, it's uh, from the audience perspective, it's who cares? Uh, not only the Emmy is not uh, sufficient to drive a resolution, the opposite is the case. The Emmys are look likely to uh, to bow in the face of the strike rather than the strike bowing in the face of the award show. Uh, and the Emmys will be what's postponed rather than the strike being ended. Um, you know, the... The drip by drip of uh, the pipeline, you know, content pipeline uh, running down is is a we don't have any real transparency into how much content any given company has in uh, stockpiled. Uh, certainly, the streamers have an advantage, which is that they can promote library content as well. Uh, you know, you mean you never you never watch Succession? Well, now's your chance to catch up and watch the series. Mm. You never watch The Sopranos. You never watch this. You never watch that. That's not the way broadcast TV works. <clears throat> broadcast TV is, you know, needs, I mean, people people want to see stranger things, not the same old things. And it's, uh, it does get increasingly difficult for at least certain of the companies, but they're on different pages about this. And, uh, you know, depending on whether you happen to be someone who owns a broadcast network or not, and you know, Iger, another thing Iger said the other day was that ABC, which Disney owns, is um, probably not core to our business anymore, which is, you know, being candid and saying out loud what everyone knew, which is that the, the television networks are, are dead man walking, basically. Uh, and that makes it difficult because the AMPTP operates uh, on unanimity. And so if they can't all, with their disparate business models, get themselves on the same page, to do a difficult deal uh, on their side of the table, you can't get a deal done across the table. Well, let me go to Vincent in Sacramento. Hi, Vincent. You're on. 
Good morning. I'll make this really quick. But at the end of the movie, if you sit or sit down and watch the credits roll, there were literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that worked behind the scenes, the gaffers and best boys and camera operators and carpenters. My question is, who's looking out for them? And how, if the strike does end, how, how do they benefit? Mm. Vincent, Can thanks. I that? Quickly? Oh, go ahead quickly, Jonathan. Sure. Um, they, IATSE and the Teamsters, who represent the truck drivers, IATSE represents most of the crew, um, are in solidarity with the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild SAG-AFTRA. And that's because uh, they are afraid of AI uh, as well, particularly IATSE and certain crew occupations. And they both are concerned with the degree of inflation that their members suffered that is not, you know, in the DGA, the Directors Guild deal was a 5% increase in the first year. So uh, both those deals are up next year. Uh, there is a lot of labor solidarity. They are suffering also, but there's a lot of solidarity. Interesting. Well, you know, Eric, <clears throat> God, we're hearing about, and and we should say that sag actually represents a, a range of people who work in in films, but uh, so yes, some of those folks in the credits could be covered right now under that as well. But the solidarity is an interesting point that Jonathan is making. Sorry, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I actually, uh, just yesterday, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, uh, uh, UPS drivers are part of, they're organized under the Teamsters. And, yeah. you know, uh, uh, a lot of us from the Writers Guild, a lot of people from SAG-AFTRA, uh, the Teamsters held a rally in what they call a practice strike in downtown Los Angeles yesterday. It was massive. I was there. A number of the members of the Writers Guild leadership were there. There were speeches. The Teamsters are very much part of that. Specifically as that relates to Hollywood, the Teamsters have stood with their writers from, from day one in terms of not crossing our picket lines. It is it is drilled into their, their work ethic, not to mention uh, in, in, encoded into their contract that they don't suffer uh, when they uh, honor other unions' picket lines. So. Those wow. people in the credits, the IATSE crew members and the Teamsters, they have been behind us um, all the way since day one. You know, Eric, we just have less than a minute left. But I know that when I talked with the writers the last time the strike started, when the when the strike started and the last time you were with us, we did hear from a lot of them just how much they love the work that they do and that they're not just experiencing an economic impact, but an emotional one. Uh, do you want to just say a few words about that and how folks are doing? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, people, as I said earlier, I think people have done an, an, an outstanding job of helping each other keep their spirits up. This is not just sort of like your ordinary job where you go to an office and, and clock in and work for eight hours and then, you know, go home. People are, are sort of craving. We got into this business because we are creative people at heart. And, you know, we're craving a return to that, not just a fair deal, but the ability to do the thing that we got into this business that, drive, that, that drives our passion. So we're all hopeful to be able to get back to that as soon as possible. Eric Haywood, Alyssa Wilkinson, Jonathan Handel, thanks to all of you for, for sharing your insights and also to Catherine Howell of sag who joined us earlier. And thank you listeners for your questions. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.